me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16. That will be the basis of our study tonight, Luke chapter 16. In our Sunday morning adult class, we are studying the life of Christ. And this morning, we talked about parables. So I thought I would come back tonight and pick a parable that we might look at and have another opportunity to consider the teaching of Jesus in this way. And my first inclination was to pick something like the parable of the talents. Because that's easy. And it's very easy to preach on the parable of the talents. Or some, some parable like in we studied this morning, like the sower, Matthew 13, and parables of the kingdom. But as I thought about it, I thought, well, let me try to tackle something more difficult. And I would dare say that this parable of the unjust steward or the shrewd steward, have you cared to characterize it is probably the most if not the um, maybe the most difficult of all of Jesus parables and so we're going to tackle that this evening and see if we can learn some things and figure out some applications of what Jesus is saying in this parable in Luke chapter 16 beginning in verse 1 he also said to his disciples there was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought against him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and he said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill and set down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon let's begin by looking at the parable itself and considering the setting under which jesus gave this parable under the law of moses exodus 22 and verse 25 tells us that if you lend money to one of my people who is among you who is needy do not be like the money lender and charge him no interest and so this is one of the many statutes and ordinances that are given in the book of Exodus, and especially chapter 22, 
that if you were to lend money, very clearly it says, and it's to one of my people, don't charge interest. In other words, lend him the money and give him the opportunity to take care of a need and he'll charge him any interest. However, by this time, human nature being what it is, the Jews found a way to circumvent this statute. And one way was for a rich man to hire someone that would be a steward over his resources. And so the steward would have the liberty to be able to charge interest on things. And it wasn't, it wasn't the master doing it. I didn't do it. The steward did it. And so he could get out of it. In fact, I read that if someone was brought to court over something of this matter, it was the steward that was tried and not the master. Another principle that was very prevalent at that time in borrowing was to take, and he mentions here the idea of measures of oil or bushels of wheat. And so you might borrow, let's say, 10 bushels of wheat. And so the practice would be that when you borrowed that, instead of writing out you borrowed 10 bushels, they would write you borrowed 14 bushels. So technically, you're not charging interest, are you? But you really are, because you're writing this up something different than it was. And so the steward exercised full control over the master's wealth and had the ability to make decisions. He held a position of trust and confidence, and he dealt with the debtors as he saw fit because he was given that responsibility. And so if he was judged incompetent, then, of course, he could be fired. So that is the background and the setting that they would have understood as Jesus gave that parable. Now, as we have read the story here from Luke 16, here is a story of a steward that had been embezzling his master's funds. Now, there's no getting around this. The guy was a crook. Uh, he was a thief. He had been unfaithful in his service. And somehow it is discovered that that was occurring. And so the master calls him to give an account. And the servant, of course, as soon as he's called on the carpet for this, he knows he's wrong. He knows he's caught. He knows he's going to be fired. And so he comes up with this ingenious idea of reducing the debts of the people that owed his master money thus making himself friends with them, hoping possibly for future employment. Now, the thing in all of this that probably is the most puzzling in a sense is Jesus tells the parable that when the master learns of this, instead of being mad, he's, he commends him. He commends the unjust steward for his shrewdness. And then what Jesus is telling us is that we can learn some lessons from this unfaithful steward. So, our task is to try to figure out what is the application of this. What are some lessons that we can learn from this particular parable? Now, let me start off by saying some things that Jesus, I think, is not teaching in this parable. Jesus is definitely not teaching stealing is okay. You remember this morning in the Bible class, we said that any time you study a parable, and if you try to interpret that, and it contradicts a plain passage of teaching, then your interpretation has got to be wrong. And so in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that he may have to give to him that has need. So he's not teaching that it's right to steal. 
Neither is Jesus saying that the end justifies the means. And so you can just live any way you want or have any kind of motivation behind what you want. And if your end result is a good result, then whatever way you use to get there is okay. That's not the point of this, I think. Nor is he teaching that selfishness is right or that dishonesty is somehow approved. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, let's see if we can take this apart point by point and see what is at the heart of what is being discussed here. The first thing I think that is, to me at least, is obvious is that we're stewards. And he's using here, and of course this is not the only parable Jesus tells in the collection of parables we have uh, uh, recorded of the idea of stewardship. And so, as we've already indicated, stewardship was something they understood. And that people had stewards over their, their resources, over their wealth, and so forth. But this is used as a metaphor for disciples of Christ, that we are stewards. In fact, the Bible speaks of this, 1 Corinthians 4 and 1. Paul tells us that it, it is in our stewardship, or as stewards, we are to be found faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I mean 1 Peter chapter 4, and in verse 10, Peter says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so these are just a couple of Bible examples that speak to the idea of stewardship. And so we are stewards of God. Now let me just... It, camp on this for just a moment or two and think about ways in which we're stewards we're not stewards obviously in the exact same sense as they were stewards then but in principle we are stewards because in our stewardship god has entrusted us with things hasn't he he has given us a trust to carry out what he wants us to carry out whether it is material things or spiritual things or our stewardship of the gospel, that in all of our discipleship, we are stewards. In fact, we can say that we are stewards of the time. Ephesians 5 and verse 17 tells us to redeem the time or to make good use of the time because the days are evil, to walk circumspectly in all that we do, to be, to be wise and not unwise. And so as we use each day, we use the time in a lot of us, we are stewards of that. We're to be stewards of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19, Paul says that we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so this is a way in which we are stewards. We are stewards of various opportunities. And Galatians 6.10 is we therefore have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those that belong to the family of believers. And so our stewardship would involve the various opportunities that we may be given from time to time. And then, of course, we are stewards of our resources, of our money. In fact, we recently in our Bible class studied a whole quarter on the idea of stewardship. And if you recall in that study, we talked about how that everything belongs to God. God is the owner and I'm the manager. And so of all of our resources, we are to be faithful in their resources. Ecclesiastes 5 in verse 19 said, God gives a man riches and wealth and so everything that we have comes from the hand of God and we are stewards of God 
And so certainly one thing that we get out of this is the concept, at least, in a general sense, of the idea of stewardship. But that doesn't speak to the part of this parable that raises difficulty for us. He says here in verse 8 that we can learn from the sons of this world. He's commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And he's talking about this steward. And so what do we see in this shrewd steward or unjust steward if you please that we might learn from that might have something good that we can say about him well the first thing i might suggest that here was a fellow that was realistic about his situation he 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 didn't complain he didn't whimper he didn't blame someone else uh, for his situation he didn't duck his head in the sand and pretend he didn't have the problem he had a problem he was realistic about the problem that he had to deal with. And he said, what shall I do about this problem? Now, he was also realistic. He couldn't work at manual labor, or at least he didn't want to work at manual labor. And he said, I'm too proud to beg. And so what am I going to do about this? I need to be realistic about my situation and how that I can solve this problem. So if we take what Jesus says here in verse 8 as the master commending him and saying that the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light, then possibly Christians need to be more realistic about their situations. Now, we have different problems that arise, different challenges in life. And sometimes it's very easy when we get into a situation, maybe one of our own doing like this unjust steward. You know, there, there are times I have counseled people and they have, like this fella, they've done something wrong and now they got themselves in a bad fix, but they're not very realistic about it and figured out how to solve it and what to do about it. Well, we need to be realistic about our situations and about our problems and about our challenges in life. There's no sense in blaming other people. There's no sense in griping. There's no sense in complaining. There's no sense in acting like that we don't have a problem be realistic. You know, as churches sometimes, we might learn from this. We need to accept the challenges that we face. We can't ignore trouble spots. Or we can't blame our lack of growth on other people or on the community or on outside forces. And so if we learn from the sons of this world, then we learn to be realistic about the challenges and the problems that we may face. A second thing that we can say about this fellow, he certainly was resourceful, wasn't he? I mean, that, there's no question about that. He was fired, but he wasn't floored. He, he, was, he came up with a plan. I mean, I mean, that's pretty clever when you think about it, isn't it? And so, again, Jesus is telling us here that if we look at this fellow, the son of the world, and, and once again, understand that he just used an example, and I think something very possible that could have happened i mean this is a very realistic situation that could occur that day and time and maybe even some of the audience knew of a steward that had done this very thing and jesus has given an example here of saying you know you you can learn from people 
that are not Christians. I subtitled this, What Sinners Can Teach Saints. Well, sometimes sinners can teach saints some things that we can learn. Sometimes you hear brethren talk about their situation. Say, well, how's the church doing? Well, we're holding our own. Well, what's that mean? I mean, can, can we do better? Can we be more resourceful in, in making a difference in the community and tapping into the potential that we have in ministry? Too oftentimes we make excuses instead of making plans. This fellow was making plans. He came up with something clever and it worked. We can learn from the children of this world. We can learn to be more resourceful. We can learn sometimes to make new, fresh, innovative approaches and ideas in carrying out the Lord's work. Another thing you can say about this fellow, he was certainly ambitious. I mean, he, he was thinking in maxims here. I mean, he wasn't going to go halfway with this. That, you know, how much do, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of oil. Fine, let's just cut this bill in two. Uh, the other was uh, uh, hundred measures of wheat. Well, let's just give you 20% off. I mean, that's a pretty good discount, isn't it? And so he, he was ambitious as he approached this. He was thinking big. He said, let's exploit this thing. And so, once again, if we apply this, we think about how can we be like that spiritually, then we might look at our level of ambition. Are we ambitious? Do we, do we look at what we can get by as the very minimum? Or do we look at how we can maximize our efforts and our resources and our service and our work to the Lord? Possibly we need higher aspirations and more ambition and to set greater goals in service to the Lord. This fellow was ambitious. And then you can certainly say that he possessed foresight. He was thinking down the road, wasn't he? He was thinking about his future. He didn't want to be left out in the cold. And so he had some foresight. He just did wait. Till, well, I know I'm caught and I'm going to be fired. And then later think what I'm going to do. And so he possessed some foresight. And so this is true of all of us. Do we have foresight? Are we thinking ahead uh, when we think about the work of the church? Are we thinking about down the road? You know, one of the things I've been very impressed with our shepherds here and the work here is, is the foresight and the planning. And most people don't know the amount of planning that goes on down the road, months ahead or years ahead. Uh, Seemed like, if I remember right, we started planning the next year in August, and you think, well, boy, we just passed the halfway point. Well, you got, you've got to start thinking, hey, gospel meetings are planned often years in advance. People are scheduled years in advance to come and present certain kinds of topics. You know, I've known churches that don't do very much planning. I uh, had a church call me one time, and it was February, and beginning of the year, and sometimes you start getting calls about gospel meetings. As churches have done their planning for the next two or three years, you scheduling meetings out two or three years in advance. And this brother I knew well from a church I'd preached a number of meetings at Kentucky called me, and he said, uh, well, he said, what you hold a meeting for? I said, well, glad to come back. I said, when you want me to come? He said, March. I said, okay. I said, you mean March of next year? He said, no, next month. 
I said, well, I can't come next month. I said, I've got my year booked. I said, I don't have room for another meeting. He said, well, I saw you last fall, and you said you could. I said, well, last fall I could, but I've got my schedule booked since then. And I thought, and I, I, I said, well, I'd love to come. I can come next March. He said, well, okay. And well, that church doesn't do much long-range planning. One month out and calling me for, for a meeting. As we stay in the South, bless their heart. Well, Lord wants us to possess foresight. This fella possessed some foresight in our teaching programs. And you can think of any number of examples in which we have laid out for us things that we can look down the road. So you might can think of some other things that we can learn from the sons of this world that certainly apply to this fellow here, this, this shrewd steward. But there's, those are a few that come to my mind. But then there's a third thing that I get out of this parable. And the idea of using material prosperity for a spiritual end. In verse 9, he says, I say to you to make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when they fail, you, they may receive you into an everlasting home. We live in a material world, don't we? I mean, that's just a fact. And just as God's people have always lived in a material world, that we're called upon to use material things, what we might look at as unrighteous mammon, the things of this world, but to use it in a spiritual way. We took up a collection today. Well, we hope that we meet the budget, don't we? I mean, we don't want notes in there that say best wishes, see? Because people want money. The light company wants money. Whoever are one of the 300 different uh, providers of electricity here in Texas, uh, whoever we have, I don't know who that is, but they, they want the light bill paid. The water bill ought to be paid. Uh, there are men that were sending out support checks uh, all over the world. They want to receive those support checks as they're providing for their families and preaching the gospel and other places. And on and on the list could go. And, and so it takes resources to be able to do that. And so we might look at mammon, you see, what is looked at as money, as being that, which, oh, unrighteous mammon, but it takes that to be able to carry on the Lord's work. So how do we use it? Well, do we give on the Lord's day as we've been prospered? 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. We are commanded to do that. We're commanded to look into our resources of that which we've earned and to be honest about that and to look at our ability to give and give accordingly. Not only that, in Ephesians 4 and verse 25, we're commanded to help those that have need. And so as we look at people that have various needs. And I think that's an addition to what we give on the Lord's Day. Certainly we can take the Lord's Day contribution and help needy Christians, needy saints, as the Bible teaches. I believe in limited benevolence from the church treasury. But from my individual pocketbook, that I can help other people, friends and neighbors and relatives and people that are not Christians, and give to charities and organizations to do good. In Galatians 6, 6, he talks about the supporting of those that teach the word. And there are any number of Christians that I've known through the years that besides their contribution in the Lord's day, individually support brethren that teach the word and different places. And then we referenced a while ago, 
Galatians 6.10 and the idea of doing good works as we have opportunity. And so when we look at this parable of this unjust steward, we realize that all of us are stewards of God. We can learn from the sons of this world and we can use our material prosperity for a spiritual means. Now, as you kind of wrap this up and as Jesus wrapped up this teaching, there's one paramount idea that overrides all of this that I think that we need to understand. And he says here in verses 10 through 13, and let me just read it with you again, that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Now, this steward was unjust, wasn't he? In what he was entrusted. And so as Jesus tells the parable, and we make the application of stewardship, that whatever your stewardship is, and we all have different ways in which we're stewards, don't we? Different gifts, abilities, opportunities, resources. Some have a lot over which they may be stewards. And some have a little. But it doesn't make any difference, does it? If it's a lot or a little, that we need to be faithful in that. And the person that is going to be faithful in a little, he's going to be faithful in a lot. The person that is unfaithful in a little, well, you can be sure he's going to be unfaithful if he has more. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And so as I'm committed certain things in the material realm, I need to use that principle in being faithful in the spiritual realm. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is not your own? No servant can serve two masters. For he either hate the one and love the other, or else he will cling to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so for the Christian, the bottom line is this, that we're stewards of the Lord. We belong to Him, and we have a stewardship to Him. And so aside from your job, profession, or occupation, aside from things of a material nature, we have a spiritual stewardship. And that's the thing that we need to keep paramount in front of us. Well, I hope this has been helpful. It might be that you have some other thoughts about this parable. Uh, and there might be some obvious things that I have possibly overlooked. It is a challenging parable. But certainly, I think as we look at this parable or any parable, that we always interpret a parable in light of Bible principles that we know are sound and solid and don't contradict any other Bible principles. I hope that helps you. And I hope it will help us all to think about our relationship to the Lord and the stewardship that He has entrusted to us. We close our service tonight. We sing a song of invitation and encouragement. We invite you to make your life right with God if it is not. If you desire the prayers of the saints here that we might help you in some way or encourage you, or if you're not a Christian and through faith, repentance, and baptism, you will become a child of God, it's to you we invite while together we stand and while we sing.